We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Baltimore Bullet on April 1st, 1980. It was written by John Braschia, or Braschia and Robert Vincent O'Neill, directed by Robert Ellis Miller, and released by Avco Embassy Pictures. Kate Micucci was born yesterday, March 31st, 1980. Writer-producer John Braschia's fascination with pool sharks turned into a nine-month cross-country trip in which he provided betting money to two pool hustlers to gather research for a screenplay. During the production, a National Pocket Billiards Championship with a $25,000 purse was filmed to capture footage of professionals and pickup shots of their most difficult moves. Ronnie Blakely wrote Blonde Billy for this film. I think it's a decent song. For my money, it's better than anything a coal miner's daughter. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. I like the song. It's a good song. And she has a much better voice. But she's actually, like, a country singer, so. I was going to say, does she have a career outside of this film? She does. Okay. She also got an Oscar nomination for playing a country singer in Nashville. Hmm. We start the movie in 4-3. Meh. <laughs> Pretty sure this was originally slated to be a TV movie, and then at some point they decided, oh, you know what, we could put this in theaters. We just need to put some nudity in there. Yeah. Well, I know. I like that. You and I weren't sure at first when we were watching. We we're like, oh, is this a, is this a TV cut or something? Yeah. So, sometimes it's you can tell that it's like, oh, yeah. this is. And done then, like, in halfway post. through the movie, we're like, nope, this is all framed in 4 3. They are clearly in the frame here. Yeah. Intentionally. And it, it just changes the whole mood of a film. Well, I think we're, what we were probably watching was an edited for broadcast. A version but the, the original was a 4.3, according to IMDb. Oh, okay. Because okay, it was never released on video outside of the UK. Yeah, but you never get the, the sense that anything's being center cut or pan and scanned. It's always mm-hmm. like everything's perfectly in frame, mm-hmm. even though it's in 4.3 the whole time. Which just... It's sad when it happens. Uh, we get a montage of faceless people doing cool billiard trick shots near the cast. <laughs> uh <laughs> This looks like, and probably was at one point, a TV movie. I regret including it in our list. Mm -hmm. uh, The first really crappy trick that we see pans up to Coburn. (laughs) Because it turns out he could do that one. Uh, And then we see a really cool trick, and we tilt up to Bruce Boxleitner sitting across the pool table on a stool somewhere. So it's like, oh, someone near him did that cool trick. Basically, we're seeing Nick beat a guy who just won a championship at Pauly's. He just hung out for the contest. He didn't participate in it. And then he decided to beat the guy who won just to prove to everyone that he's better than him and yeah. to take all of his money. And the guy's like, well, you should have entered the contest. You could have had this trophy. And he's like, I, I don't need your tin cup. So I don't even know why you don't just cast really good pool players because it's not like these guys brought anything to the table. James Coburn is vaguely charismatic compared to i would guess most professional pool players i guess i don't know i feel like you could probably find 
charismatic pool players and just cast them. I, I don't know. These guys felt pretty useless to me throughout this movie. I, I feel like they needed a name. And James Coburn certainly was a name. Right. And he's like, they're not going to get Paul Newman. Yeah. Speaking of Paul Newman, this is very clearly uh, coming from The Hustler, which had come out at this point, but it's it predates Color of Money. Mm-hmm. But it kind of feels like either a prequel to The Hustler or a sequel to The Color of Money because The Hustler deals with Paul Newman kind of outgrowing the guy who taught him everything. So in that way, this could be a, like a prequel to that because it's like, oh, when he was still teaching him to do the tricks. But then Color of Money is him teaching the guy to do the tricks and so this would be after that but either way it doesn't seem like any of this inspired anything in color of money no it just seems like it was trying to be the hustler for tv and then at the last second they were like what if it was a movie uh polly kicks them out when he sees that they are hustling his hustlers i i hate the word hustling and it gets used a lot in these kind of movies yeah and it's just like it's just called being good at pool like it's not a trick. You didn't, like, cheat someone just because you pretended to be bad and then you got their money. And it's like, if you do it in some backwoods part of town with a bunch of drunk guys, yeah, they're going to beat you up and keep their money. But mm. if you do it at a pool hall, like, after a professional championship, it's not hustling anymore. It's just right. being better at but pool. But I think, I think that, yeah, it's weird It's weird that they use the term hustler to, to just indicate somebody that is good at pool. And I is this is this something that is used widely, like, in the world of pool? Because... When you are pretending to be bad, and then once you start playing for money, you That's turn hustling. it on. That is hustling. Yeah. But these guys are just always good, so it's not hustling. And also, no one would suspect these two at... If there has just been a term, tournament here, no one would suspect these two people who are known for Being playing world pool, champion pool players. Have magazines with their photographs in it. Yeah. Would suspect them ever... Of being people who were not good at pool. So yeah. I guess there is what there is one scene in the movie where they make an effort to actually hustle. Yeah, there are hustles that are pulled, but there's there's this actually opening like, scene is not one of them. There's two or three scenes where they actual hustle, but it turns out in this movie, one hundred percent of the time when you're actually hustling someone, you don't get the money, unless you can beat that person in a fight afterwards. In which case, you don't even have to be good at pool. Just go fight them and take their money. <laughs> But, Just wait uh, for them to come around a corner and kick them. Yeah. <laughs> over and, take their and money. over again. But, uh, yeah. They go to another bar where Casey, uh, Nick Casey, the uh, Coburn character, is flirting with a girl. He tells her he's 39. Which I think he was like 52 or something at the time. He says he's going to teach her how to play. And he asks the bartender to show her the sports illustrator or whatever magazine where he was the centerfold because him and his partner billy joe were the best poker players mm. or best pool players in the world at the time and the bartender says i think he's implying that he brings ladies often to the bar and shows off by yeah. giving them magazine and signing it for him also that maybe this was a while ago that this issue came out and he's burned through a lot of issues yeah. that he's yeah. only down to two copies so he might not be the best anymore but he still has these old issues that prove that he was at one point. We see Billy Joe losing a game of racquetball to a guy, I guess on purpose, to be like, oh, well, I'm really bad at racquetball, so I must be terrible at pool, right? Exactly, yeah. Even though they're not they're not even vaguely similar skill sets. But uh, 
as they're walking out of the racquetball court, he's like, oh, pool table. Hey, do you do you play pool? And he's like, oh, pool is my game. And he's like, oh, well, then you should bet me, give me a chance to win my money back here on this pool table. And uh, he obviously beats the guy mercilessly because mm-hmm. he's one of the best pool players in the world. Uh, back at the bar, Nick takes Sugar, the girl that he was trying to impress, up to his room. And then we cut back to Billy collecting his money from this guy. I think he's the last person in the film that actually pays the debt that he owes. <laughs> and after this scene, everyone's <laughs> well, like... to them. Right, yeah. Because uh, there's some that, that that's paid to other people. Yes. He, on his way out of this racquetball club, I guess, Billy Joe sees on the news that the deacon was paroled after two years of his five-year sentence for tax evasion. The deacon is apparently someone very important to them, but they show an illustration of his face because he's very elusive and he's never been photographed right and this is you can tell from the illustration that he's played by omar sharif it's a very nice illustration of omar sharif yeah it's essentially a photograph (laughs) i mean if if this was like the old west this would be the wanted poster yes um it's also on uh i'm assuming that billy is not a member of this club because he changes into like a janitorial uniform as he walks out he pretended he was working on something electric because the woman on as he's walking out of there like oh did you did you figure out what the problem was? And, and he just kind of walks past her without answering. Okay, so this one was a hustle for sure. Right, but if you go to a club, like a sportsman's club, and someone bets you money that they're better than you at pool, you have to assume that there's a possibility that they're better than you at pool, unless you know they're not. Yeah, he, he never demonstrated that he was bad at pool. That, I guess that's true. He, he demonstrated he was bad at racquetball. Yeah. If he suddenly became good at racquetball, then that's a hustle. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if these are the official rules. It just This is what it sounds like to me, is that if you're actually hustling someone, you have to lie to them first. You can't just be like, I bet you money that I'm better than you, and then be better than them. Then you just told them the truth, and they were stupid. So they, they hear that he's back in town, and they know that he hosts these challenges that cost basically $20,000 to play him in a game of pool. Mm. And for some reason, if you put up the $20,000 and you win... You get $160,000? I'm not clear on where that number comes from, why you get paid eight times what you're putting in. Because uh, of the odds. That's the, <laughs> those are the odds? It's it's one to eight? Yeah. I don't know. It seems weird that he thinks he's eight times better than the second best person. But anyway, he goes back to the hotel room that's upstairs from that the billiards hall where... Uh, Nick Casey met the girl and he just wanders into their room and starts knocking on the shower door to tell him hey the deacon's in town and he's in there with sugar Mm -hmm. and they're both completely naked but James Coburn when he finds out the deacon is out he just wanders out completely naked and he's like oh this is great we're gonna play against him and the girl's like uh I'm still naked in here what's going on she's like jumping up and down to see out of the shower it makes me really uncomfortable I'm like you shouldn't jump in the shower you're gonna slip and fall (laughs) oh my god yeah because they're 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 wet like the shower was on oh yeah. yeah um but eventually she comes out and they have this whole conversation about how they're gonna win eight times as much money as they put in on this bet but they don't have a lot of seed money. They don't have the $20,000, and that's the minimum that the deacon will play for. So they don't have the money. I'm not clear on why these guys wouldn't have the money, because I guess I'm clear that Billy is bad with money throughout the film here right. because he ends up having some sort of poker addiction, and he's not very good at poker. But why is Nick broke? Because he keeps giving his money to the, the other guy. Is that true? Basically. I mean, at least over the course of this plot. Yeah, and also probably entertaining all these women that 
we're assuming he has around is probably rather expensive. It, it feels like they they play very hand to mouth, and they don't have like a nest egg anywhere. The closest thing that they have is uh, Nick's car, which he seems to have an affection for and doesn't want to turn in for money. But either way, they get on the road, and uh, what is the Bruce Boxleitner's character? Billy Joe. Tron. Tron, uh, Tron says um, that they could win up to $160,000 and that's enough to open their own pool hall. But Nick Casey's not interested in that because that's what, that's what a hustler does when they retire. And he wants to stay on the road and keep like hustling for money. He wants to challenge people all the time. But uh, in, in the movie, The Hustler, the guy that is training Paul Newman or has successfully trained Paul Newman wants to retire and open his own pool hall. But he, he never did that saving up a nest egg. The deacon enters a club, probably the first club he's been in since he got out of jail, um, and starts an all-night poker game with like a bunch of senators. The doorman lets him in, and immediately Max shows up, played by Jack O'Halloran, and uh, he tells the doorman, hey, was that the deacon? And he's like, yeah, that was him. And he's like, hey, when he comes out, can you like give me some kind of a signal so we know he's there? And he's like, with the camera. I work for the Daily News. And it's like, oh, then you meant a shot of him. Mm-hmm. because the phrase he used only means murder but he agrees he's going to give him this signal jack o'halloran is awesome yeah like this this guy like he worked a lot and i wish he worked more but uh he's just got this massive chin he looks like he came out of like the same factory that made richard keel yeah totally and, is, that, is that jaws richard, richard keel what yes. he looks like he looked like jaws to me and i was exactly. like i think that he i think that there is something like he has some sort of abnormality and, and, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think that they, whatever they have, they have the same one. That, that, that would not shock me at all to learn. But Jack O'Halloran always plays these kind of guys. But his chin is just massive. It, it makes, like, Bruce Campbell look like Trump Jr. Like, it's just a giant triangle on the bottom of his face. And uh, unfortunately, because he, he shows up in Superman 2 as one of, like, Zod's henchmen. Yeah. But he's got a beard covering the whole thing. And I'm like, what a waste of that shape <laughs> of his face. But... Uh, He's great. Nick calls the deacon in the middle of his poker game to say, oh, I heard you're out. I just wanted to say congratulations, and I wanted to challenge you to a pool game. And he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of a poker game right now, and I'm not interested, but I have already agreed to play whoever wins Polly's next tournament. So if you want to play against me, you should probably win that tournament. But even then, you're going to have to pay the $20,000. Like, right. That doesn't mean I'm waiving my fee. The next morning, basically, Deacon is winning this tournament. They've been playing for like 12 hours. And uh, the last senator calls his, calls his bluff and loses because but, the Deacon had a full house. But they're very, they're, they're very like amiable to each other. Like, right. The senator says, oh, you know, I, you know, your, your marker is good enough for me, senator. And so he writes it out and he says, you'll, you'll give me time on that. And it's like as much time as you need. Like, yeah. like he's not he's not a murderer. Like, like I kind of expected the Deacon to be a little bit ruthless. Right, he's but just, he's with just, a senator, it's different because it's, it's it doesn't help you to kill a senator. You're in a lot of trouble if you well, kill a senator. But if a senator owes you money, that's almost better than getting the money. Well, because I, I kind of like think back to like McGruber when sure. Val Kilmer gets like that senator and like that that situation he puts him in. So I was expecting something like that from yeah. the deacon. I thought he was going to be really ruthless and have have something horrible happen. Your companion's a very beautiful young woman. Thank you. Hope you enjoy being date raped, ma'am. <laughs> it's my daughter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh man, that's such a great scene. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but just stop this podcast and watch the <laughs> if you haven't, because it's my favorite movie of all time. So 
that throws my list way out of whack for you, then that's your problem. Max is still waiting for his photo opportunity. Right. And he has a camera out like he's going to take a picture. Right. But then as soon as he gets the signal from the doorman that the deacon is coming, which he's doing very frantically because Max wasn't paying attention, uh, he switches for a gun Mm -hmm. and he covers himself with a blanket because he doesn't want to get caught shooting this guy. A New Orleans funeral strolls through the scene. This has happened three times in movies that I can think of where a person's getting assassinated during a... uh, during a street funeral, twice in New Orleans. I think it happens in the James Bond Yeah, movie. Live and Let Die, it happens. They, they actually put him in the coffin of the funeral procession. Right. As they kill him. <laughs> it also makes me think of uh, Big Trouble in Little China when they're in, like, in the back alleys of San Francisco and uh, they start this huge shootout and people are like pulling weapons out of the side of the coffin to fight with. But yeah, I've never seen one of these street funerals go well. Uh, they always end in murder. But yeah, the he tries to pull his gun out and <laughs> shoot. Funnier if he had said it always ends in a dead guy. <laughs> it starts so with a dead. It guy. Starts with a dead guy. <laughs> it starts with a body and it ends with bodies. There you go. Uh, he pulls out his gun to shoot the deacon, and a cop wanders up and says, "Hey, you can't park that here." <laughs> Doesn't care that there's like the barrel of a gun hanging yeah. out of the driver's window, but it catches Max off guard, and when he swings it back into the car he accidentally shoots it through the windshield and then shoots it a bunch more times he's like his yeah. fingers like stuck on the trigger and uh then he just slams on the gas and crashes into a bunch of stuff and drives through like street vendors carts and mm-hmm. almost over pedestrians he knocks over the coffin that the people were carrying down the street and uh he eventually gets away somehow probably yeah. just because this is a mounted police officer and not a guy on a motorcycle or in a car well and plus he's open to fire and it's kind of like oh i need to get cover right and i don't want to use my horse's cover <laughs> yeah and he's made such a scene at this point that the deacon saw what happened and his henchmen are telling him oh it looks like someone was trying to shoot a police officer and the deacon's like yeah maybe that's what happened and then uh, the people that were running the funeral try to lift the coffin and one of the guys looks inside and he goes which i thought it might have been funnier if he was like oh he's still dead like (laughs) they were surprised by it but it's like why would you be happy that he was dead i don't understand why that's all right over breakfast nick and billy joe argue over whether their waitress's breasts are real this is an argument that they settled by violently assaulting her yeah. in the restaurant. Yeah, I could have done without this entire scene. Yeah, this Why? Was... It does so much work in telling the story. There, and... Yeah, there's no point to having this scene in the movie. There, There's literally no purpose to this scene aside from reminding us that these are two terrible people who don't deserve any of the money that they get over the course of but, this film. And, and that's obviously not what the scene was intended to convey. So what was the original intent of this scene? The original intent, I think, was to show... That Coburn is a tit man and that his friend is cool with sexual assault. And that at the time, that's hilarious. Um, I think what the intended point was that Billy lacks experience. And Coburn has the experience and they keep making wagers all throughout the movie that Billy loses. Yeah. Because he won't listen to Coburn's wisdom. Here's how this scene is better. Instead of having him literally walk up to the waitress and grab her boobs so hard that she literally drops the tray that she's holding and probably it comes out like, like looking i don't think you have to grab boobs hard in order for a woman to drop a tray of food that she's holding you'd be surprised i think if you walk up to her and just grab her tits she's going to drop a tray yeah but you gotta be sneaky about it because if they see you coming they'll prepare <laughs> you know they'll shift their weight what, they'll, they'll turn the armored boobs on yeah <laughs> that's the thing the way the scene should have gone and probably would today 
even if they had to include this the start of this conversation would be like oh well i'll prove to you that they're real and then he goes on a date with her or something or literally asks her and has the ability to ask her instead of like just going up and grabbing a person in public which i don't even trust him to be able to tell whether or not they're real by grabbing them yeah this is this is what i would do i would have him walk up to her and say hey are those real and then cut to him walking back with like a black eye or a slap across his face and it's like then then hand him the money like yeah you don't you don't have to have him make any horrible things towards her and because like i said when she comes out around that corner she looks like horrified yeah and like it was like the, the, she looks like she doesn't know if he's done attacking her yeah and i was like oh that's that's even adding more to this that i don't yeah. want it's not even like in mash when the girl gets in the helicopter the next day and she's like i really enjoyed that i'm glad that they made me do that against my will <laughs> like <laughs> she's she's just terrified that it happened but it's a really uncomfortable scene, and it should be cut from the movie. Well, and the fact that these men aren't immediately, like, kicked out of this restaurant, you know, with force is is also an appalling state of the times that, you know, she isn't able to lodge a complaint against this Not customer. only that, but she might get in trouble for dropping what she did when she got crapped. She might actually get penalized for what they did to her. But yeah, so that's this scene. They have some car trouble and so they go to a mechanic uh we 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 just skipped over something real quick oh sure that they call in a poly and poly is strangely interested in having them not only compete in the tournament but he will cover both of their entry fees yeah so that would mean that they don't need to get extra money they only need the twenty thousand. yeah yeah isn't that strange though like the whole the whole reason he was arguing with them in the beginning is because they wouldn't enter his contest well and well but then like they kind of like started a little bit of a fight and ran out. Um, and so he says, well, if I think the, the idea of that was, well, we can't go back to Polly's. Yeah. Well, I think they can't go back to Polly's to hustle people. But I think that Polly desperately wants them to be a part of his tournaments because they legitimize it because he is such a well-known pool player. Right. But even more so that we find out that the new, uh, not news, but a television crew is going to be covering this right. year's tournament. Yeah. So now he wants his star power on top of his ability to play pool. So he's willing to waive both of their fees. The car breaks down and they pull into a mechanic's place. They notice that there's a pool hall like right kitty corner from the uh, workshop. And so he says, oh, it's going to be like an hour and 45 minutes or whatever. And they're like, oh, really? Okay. Well, that's enough time for us to rustle up some money out of some rubes over here. And so they steal some uniforms from this mechanic shop. I don't think they steal them. Because he, he asks, right? like, he's, hey, can you do me a favor? And the next scene, they're wearing the Oh, uniforms. I thought he was literally distracting the mechanic so that... Well, we don't know because it's Billy Joe. Uh, yeah, it, it looks to me like only one of them puts on the uniform. And it was him saying, oh, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And he walks him out of the room and the camera pans over to a uniform hanging on a shelf like he was getting that guy out of the way so Billy Joe oh. could steal it. Oh, maybe. I, I thought he literally just asked to borrow him. Well, it's it's possible either way, but he uh, so Billy Joe goes down the street and plays a game of pool against James Coburn and pretends that they're both kind of mediocre. Basically, mm-hmm. this is an actual hustle because they're both playing mediocre pool, but one is clearly better than the other. But the guys in the hall are like they're 
what is the name of that movie the pool hall junkies is that what it was called the uh christopher walken one yeah that is a movie um they're they're sharks they sit around and wait for someone Mm -hmm. to suck at pool and then they try and give this person an advantage that they'll fall for so after coburn leaves and billy joe's there by himself he's like hey i'll play against you for money and he's like no 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 i only play my uncle for money and he's like i'll give you a head start you get you get 50 points and uh you can start at 25 and i'm going to start at zero he's like wait you're going to give me a halfway head start and he's like yeah because he thinks that he's so good that he's going to beat him even with this head start and and this is the first of my confusion about how pool works oh yeah i have zero <laughs> concept of pool scoring i i thought i thought <laughs> pool was a game that you played and until then... one person won <laughs> like like one person is solid one person is stripes and you just get all the balls that were racked and that's it but apparently you have to count up to a certain number and i don't know what that number is and the numerical values (laughs) on the ball make a difference it seems like does it is that what you're i don't know i i I honestly don't care enough about pool to ever look it up so (laughs) we're gonna get a lot of angry letters about how pool is scored (laughs) i hope to god well the only people that care about pool are the kind of people who still write letters so that that sounds accurate to me I guess like tournament pool has different rules, but again, to me, tournament pool would be you play a game of traditional eight ball uh, or nine ball. I, 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 don't, I don't know eight, how many balls eight, pool eight. has. <laughs> no idea. Uh, this is a good conversation. <laughs> we know nothing about pool, and that's why we're talking about this movie about pool. Maybe that's why it seems so bad. Maybe this movie is thrilling. If you why like pool, keep... Wait, it's, but isn't it ten? No, there's the eight what ball. You... There's numbers after the eight, though. Right, but but the... I thought you roll them <laughs> up the hill and they have to go into little rings. And they come tumbling down after. What is that called? Ski ball. That's a little different. Um, I've been playing ski ball totally wrong. No wonder they keep kicking me out of the pool halls. Stop hustling us! You're just like <laughs> clutching your tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you even get those? <laughs> but yeah, so this is a real hustle. Before we don't we don't even really see any of the game happen. He hustles these people, they gave him a head start, and then someone from the pool hall runs over to the mechanic shop and he says, Hey buddy, do you have a new guy or something? And he said, No, what are you talking about? And he said, Well, somebody down at the pool hall is wearing your uniform and they thought he was a pork chop, but it turns out he's like a, a ringer, he's a hustler, and he's and they're gonna beat him up. And he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I got to get down there. And and the mechanic seems really confused, which so, is why I think they stole the uniform. Yeah, that makes more sense now. And then Coburn says, I have to make a phone call because he's worried about Billy Joe getting beaten up because he hustled the wrong people, which he always hustles the wrong people. And so he calls the fire department and says the building's on fire. So we go back inside the pool hall where Billy Joe is getting beaten up by all these people. First he gets surrounded and they start quizzing him on like mechanic stuff. They're like, what's a cluster gear or something like that and uh he's like interlocks his fingers together and he's like well i'm really glad you asked that question because a cluster gear works like this and then it expands and he throws his arms out in all directions and knocks like five guys back and then starts punching them all one at a time yeah he gets he he survives much longer than i anticipated in this fight before trying to make a run for the door which is locked yeah and he's also straight up hucking pool balls at these guys which if those are not fake pool balls which i hope they were like that would that you could kill somebody if you hit them with a pool ball um but he's just throwing them over the table 
Uh, and then, like you said, he runs for the door, but they locked it before they even started this fight because, of course, they did because that's their modus operandi for when they get hustled. And uh, they've they've all got him surrounded up against the door when a fire axe comes through. Yeah, like the the firemen didn't even knock; they just throw an axe through the door, um, and then they put one through the window right away. And the fight is basically broken up by firemen and police officers entering the building, realizing this building is not on fire. They ask who's the wise guy who called in the the fire, which they should know which building called. Like, it shows up at the fire department where the call came from. But Billy Joe pretends it was him because he wants out of this situation. Yeah. And apparently they're going to arrest him for making a, a false call to the fire department, which I feel like it would just be like, a, okay, come on outside and you're going to fill out some paperwork and you're going to get a fine. Uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, but he does make it sound like this is this is a serial problem for him. He's like, "I did. It's a weakness of mine." And then they walk him out of the place, uh, and then from across the street, Coburn watches as they throw him into a police car. But, he's but then they're safe. immediately out. So, yeah. are we looking up the rules of pool over there? Yeah, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. Don't uh, do it. <laughs> I know it was. It's already really confusing. But there are 16 balls. <laughs> mm. There are eight. There are seven solid, seven striped, and then the eight ball. And the white ball. And the cue ball. The white the white ball. The eight cue ball. ball and the white ball. That's yeah. what they call it, the white ball. But eight ball yeah. is a game, right? Eight ball and nine ball are types of games. Okay. Yes. So that was as far as it got in my Googling. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's as, that's as far as I'm going to go. Uh, so, yeah, they're out of jail already. Apparently nothing nothing happened as a result of them calling the fire department. Um, Billy basically tricks Nick out of $50 to gamble with by saying, Oh, I want to go get a girl. Give me $50. I need to buy drinks for myself and for a girl. And he's like, all right, here's $50, I guess. And, uh, he's always willing to give money. Right. And then Billy Joe disappears for the entire night. Yeah. The next morning, Billy Joe walks back in completely exhausted at like 7 a.m. And Coburn's like, oh, man, you had a rough night. I guess you were out there with that girl all night. And uh, he's like, yeah, no, I, I wasn't with a girl. And uh, he says he was at a poker game. And then Nick says, oh, well, at least you didn't have more than $50 to lose. And he walks him out to the parking lot. He's like, where'd you park the car? And he's like, this is the car. And he slaps this, like, hunk of junk with a bunch of, like, branches hanging out from underneath it. Like, yeah. I don't even know what where he got this car. Like, did you trade with someone to put it up? as as your bet or did you literally steal this car and drive it through a field or just find it somewhere but anyway this is their new car nick loses it and basically just picks up all of his stuff and says we don't have enough money to play the deacon even if we did win Polly's tournament because you just lost everything and we don't even have the car which was like half of the money that we were going to use to place this bet so um i'm out now we don't have enough money to get to Aspen. We don't have enough money to get home. We don't have enough money to eat. We don't have enough money to sleep. And he walks across the street. And as he's leaving, like Billy Joe's trying to explain his actions. And he's like, you don't understand. Like, I had a full house and, and there was nothing I could do. I'm so sorry. And uh, you get the classic shot of like he goes and he walks behind the bus. And then the bus pulls away and he's still standing there. Yeah. And uh, as he's crossing the street back to go to Billy Joe, he's like, you said you had a full house? Like, he's like, okay, I would have done the same thing if I had a full house. Yeah. Which is the problem, is that he's enabling Billy Joe at every turn and forgiving him every time he screws up. But he says, basically, 
if you do this one more time, that's the end. This partnership is dissolving if you if you play any more poker because it's not your game. The deacon is at this outdoor restaurant at night uh, listening to music when someone tells him, okay, we figured out what that gunshot was about and it sounds like someone's trying to kill you and they tell him a name and it's someone who uh, lost a bunch of money to him a long time ago. And I think Max is like the guy's henchman. Max isn't the one who's trying to kill him, right? Max is someone who's hired to kill him? Um, I'm not sure, because Max seems pretty independent. Yeah. He's making maybe, a lot maybe of... Maybe Max is the guy who lost all the money. He, he makes a lot of his own really crucial and dangerous decisions. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he's the one who's out to kill the Omar Sharif character because some long time ago he lost a bunch of money to him, and the deacon's like, oh, okay, well, he's pretty dangerous, and... He's probably mad because I got him sent to jail for a really long time. And so far, Omar Sharif has probably had less than a minute of screen time. Right. Uh, it also seems like he's like a huge snitch. Um, and probably part of why he got out of jail as early as he did, because mm. he repeatedly talks about sending people to jail, and later on he's going to call the police on some people too. Um, so there might be a reason why he doesn't spend a lot of time behind bars, is because he's very quick to roll over on people. Nick and Billy Joe go to a honky-tonk uh, where Carolina Red is on stage singing Blonde Billy. Off stage, she turns out to be a pretty decent poker player, or <clears throat> pool player, for no reason at all. Well, no. Wait, no, they're no, setting her up. Yeah, there's a big reason. There's a big, yeah, it's a big reveal. There's not a big reason. They don't show what? it, but yeah, there is. Her ability to play pool pays no part in the whole rest of the yes, movie. Yes, it does. Then I missed a whole scene both times I watched it. No, you, you you were upset that she plays pool well for no reason. Right. There is a reason she plays pool well. I will agree that it plays no factor in the rest of the story. Yeah. Oh, hold on a second. Then I think I am misinterpreting the end of the film. Maybe you are. I thought she saved their asses. No. No? No, no not oh, at all. Oh, man, that would have been a much better ending. Yeah, well... <laughs> So, but, there, but there is a reason that she plays pool well. well. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's unexplained why she's good at pool. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that it serves no purpose Agreed. in the plot. I agree to that. And it's like so frustrating because oh. the whole time it's like, this girl's really good at pool. That should, that I should pay that, off. I thought that was the big payoff. I thought they cut away and she, she there's, there's saves no them payoff. in the end. No. Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk about that at the end, I guess. Yeah, but okay. So, yeah, she's playing pool and... It's an it's good enough that it's catching Billy Joe's attention, and he says, "Oh well, I'm gonna go hit on this girl because she's a really good singer, and she's good at pool, and she's cute. So uh, I'm gonna ask her out." And he strikes out, and then he bets Nick that he'll strike out too if he tries to talk to her. And Nick uses the exact same pickup line on her, and it works perfectly, and they start dancing. At this point, Billy basically skips out to go to a poker game because he's not getting anywhere in this club. Yeah. And uh, he asks someone where the good game is, and they say, oh, you got to hit up Snow White down at the... It's like a carnival. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> Snow like, White plays poker in the back of a funhouse? Yeah, it's like I was getting some serious us vibes. Yeah. <laughs> it also kind of reminded me of uh, the last scene in Who Framed Roger Rabbit <laughs> in some points. The the warehouse with all the weird toys and wacky oh, stuff, okay, making yeah, yeah. music and stuff. But uh, when Carolina and Nick sit down at a table... Uh, she tries to drop some hints to him who she is and then he finally realizes that the last time he saw her she was a kid and he was playing pool 
at her father's pool hall and hitting on all the women there. And she admits that she's had a crush on him since she was a child. Yeah, so that makes this whole business super creepy. Yeah. Disagree. (laughs) (laughs) That makes it super hot. So Billy gets to this carnival game run by Snow White, who has like a literally a Snow White afro Mm -hmm. and is doing a bunch of coke while they're playing poker in this little tent. And And, and is very like effeminate. Right. And just by complete coincidence, I guess, Max is there playing poker at the game. Red is asking about how Nick and Billy Joe met. He basically says he found him when he was a kid and he taught him everything that he knows and uh, that now he's... A really good poker player. Or why do I keep saying poker? Well, he's a terrible poker player. Yeah, that's a, I mean, because yeah, poker does play a lot into yeah. Billy. So he's a very good pool player. Um, but that they don't know which one of them is the best because they don't play against each other. Um, and the bartender jokes that they don't play against each other because Nick knows that Billy Joe's better than he is. And Nick suddenly realizes that Billy Joe's not around and says, "Oh, where did he go?" And they're like, "Oh, he went to Snow White's game. It's it's on the other side of town." And then he's like, oh, God, he's losing all of our money again. I need to go break this up, and this is the end of the show. Uh, But it turns out, for the first time in the movie, that he's actually doing a pretty decent job at this poker game, and he wins everybody's money. But they don't let him leave. Even though this is a high-stakes game between professionals, Mm -hmm. it turns out that if someone they don't know wins, that that person doesn't win anything. And so they're just going to beat him up and take their money back. But he legitimately won everyone's money. This seems like a really bad strategy to me. Like, if they ever want anybody to come and play with them, they have to let people walk away with their winnings. If yeah. the, if he tells anyone that, you know, hey, I was, I was going to have 25 grand or whatever it was, whatever he won. It's the same thing that Mathouse talking about in Little Miss Marker. I was just like, going to say that. If, if you cheat the wheel and people find out about it, no one's going to come to this club. No one's going to yeah. bet any money. If you yeah. want to be a high-stakes place... You need to pay out when people win because otherwise no one's going to put their money here anymore. So he tries to leave and they say, oh, well, here only losers leave. And they make a bunch of physical threats. And so he sits down at the table like he's going to keep playing. And then he turns around and tries to run away. They chase him into this weird funhouse area where he's running through like a house of mirrors and like spinning tubes and slides and all kinds of weird stuff. And he's doing his like punch one guy at a time technique until he's basically overpowered by this crowd of people right as Nick Casey shows up to help him fight. And Carolina gives him like a, like a metal pole and says they play a rough. Yeah. So the, the two of them are fending off everybody, but then it seems like eventually like Max turns on Snow White because well, he's trying to get his money back specifically. Well, yeah, Snow White is is perfectly willing to let everyone just duke it out while while he makes his getaway. Yeah, but every time someone comes around a corner, he's waiting there to kick him in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why does everyone keep falling for this? But then I did like that as Snow White's trying to run away, uh, someone Nick, gets him. Yeah, yeah, Nick is waiting for him. And then for a quick moment, I thought this was going to get really interesting. Uh, we switch to like black lights and everybody's like has weird blue and pink highlights and it it just brings another flavor to the scene of this fight but unfortunately they play it very realistic where everyone's just like wait who are you who do i who am i holding on to and like Mm -hmm. they basically stop fighting here because they can't tell who they're fighting anymore and then uh we get this 
really drawn out uh, House of Mirrors joke where it's like, oh, you can't tell where I am. Oh, I'm here. Oh, I'm there. And then they punch the guy out and get away with their money. And that's the end of this scene is that they successfully beat up Snow White and Max and collect all their money to leave. And now Carolina is going to join them as long as she can bring Trudy along. Right. And Billy Joe's like, oh, who's Trudy? Because clearly Carolina's spoken for and we cut to them all in the car with a horse and a trailer on the back. And that's Trudy. Billy Joe asks her to sing his song because he thinks he's Blonde Billy. And uh, she sings the song again. At the very beginning of the song, it kind of sounds like the Mystery Science Theater theme. Mm. Did you hear that? Uh, I know I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember this. Yeah, the first couple lines of it, like it's like... And I was just like, that sounds exactly like Mystery Science Theater. Nick tries to sing along, but he <laughs> Coburn is not a great singer. Yeah. I, I can't tell if that's the joke of the scene or if they're just like supposed to be drowning each other out and singing the song. Uh, they get to Polly's tournament and Billy's like voiceover is yeah. we're getting like is it supposed to be his POV or something? Yeah, I was like, oh my god, what is with this crazy VO? Yeah. Um but what's interesting about it is that we're actually getting introduced to actual Right famous of the time and that's the point is that they they wanted billy joe to be walking through the room and introducing us the audience to real life world champion poker player (laughs) pool players (laughs) (laughs) and uh like these are the people that you're talking about that you would have built a movie around but they they could not carry this movie i don't think one of them apparently had a cameo appearance in a beer commercial and he's like oh that's the guy from the beer commercial Mm -hmm. because they want the audience to be like oh i've seen that beer commercial that's the guy who does that Mm -hmm. line well then maybe they shouldn't have made this movie yeah no i think we're in agreement (laughs) there uh a second player walks up and mentions how great carolina is at pool even though there again there's still no payoff to this information he introduces them to the baron and robin hood who Mm -hmm. are who are expert poker players. <sighs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> These are all staying in, by the way. <laughs> I, want, I want everyone... I, and I want you to edit what in What is a, wrong with I want me? you to edit in a ding yeah. every time you say <laughs> oh poker. Let's just include the sound of a doctor saying... Let's just have really bad... A- you're dying. <laughs> Can we just have really bad ADR overcut over... Pool. We'll get Jack ready to say yeah. it. Pool. <laughs> yeah. Pool. Oh, we're not doing any of this. We're not even going to hear this episode. Uh, yeah, one of the pool players introduces the Baron and Robin Hood, who he says are professionals. Nick talks to a character who he refers to as Shorty. And this guy looks kind of like Dirk Diggler, but he sounds like Mickey Mouse. And this whole scene is just a very ham-fisted exposition for no purpose other than to introduce a string of heists that thus far have not been mentioned by anyone in the film. Right. So, and yeah, uh, I keep wanting to say Michael Lerner, Polly, uh, yeah. says, hey, if you want to keep your money safe, right? put it in my safe, uh, which everyone seems like, like, yeah, we're not falling for that, but apparently everyone falls for that. Yeah, exactly. 
But yeah. The... So he must be in on this? That, like, is he, is he in on the idea that this is all gonna, that, that somebody's trying to no. steal no. the money? Okay. No. He, it, it would be in his best interest for everyone to keep their money so that they can spend it on, on bets for him. Uh, but yeah, when Nick is talking to this guy, he's like, hey, you were down in Miami where that big heist happened, weren't you? What happened? And he says, these two guys came down with cue cases, except there ain't no sticks inside. Shotguns. They clean the whole joint out of $60,000 in less than two minutes. And it's like, oh, great. Well, I bet Polly hopes that doesn't happen here. <laughs> anyway, back to the scene. Yeah. But while they're talking about it, Baron and Robin Hood eye each other suspiciously. They're mm-hmm. just like, uh-oh. And, you, and we're supposed to assume as the audience... These are the two guys that they're talking about yeah. that did that heist. Polly stands up and invites everyone to use the safe. Got uh, like a montage of the tournament and bets coming in. Right. There's like a team of bookies in the back room taking a bunch of illegal bets and they're constantly updating the odds on a big chalkboard. People play pool for 20 minutes. You already know what that looks like. You can imagine the whole scene in your head right now. Yeah. A ball hits another ball. One of them goes down into a little pocket thing. Meanwhile, Robin Hood and the Baron sneak outside and meet in a van where they're starting to like load shotguns. Right. And, and they're the- talking to each other like, oh man, everyone's putting their money in the safe, just like he said. Yeah. And uh, really playing up that they're about to like hit this place and take all the money out of the safe. We get a random scene of the deacon. What, uh, what is he doing here? Um, he's playing pool and describing how Nick can never uh, beat him because... He always chokes. He always Basically. chokes when money is on the line. Right. He, can, he can play well when he's desperate for like the rent check, but when when it's just for for money, for profit, he can't he can't pull through. Yeah, Red sells her horse to cover the rest of their bet with the deacon, and Nick and Billy basically make it all the way to the finals. Right. Uh, so Polly goes up and he says, "Hey, these two are the they won each of the semifinal rounds, so they're going to the finals, which are going to be televised tomorrow." So everybody come back and stay tuned. And this is the big thing, that they've never played against each other. Right. And Max bets all of his money on Billy Joe. And he comes to their office. And while they're talking about what they're going to do, he's like, Billy Joe's telling him, I'm going to let you win because you need to win this so that you can play the Deacon. And he says, you're not going to let me win. You have to play against me. And then Max walks in and says, no, Nick is going to lose because... Nick is favored to win, so I mm-hmm. bet everything on Billy, so you need to take the dive. And he says, I don't I don't take a dump for anybody, because that's what they call it in pool, mm-hmm. I guess, taking a dump. <laughs> taking uh, a dump in instead pool. Instead of taking a dive. <laughs> taking I call a taking a dump in a pool a different thing. Speaking of which, Caddyshack later this year. Um, but uh, yeah, so Max lifts Nick Casey up against the door to the office and says, you are going to lose this match and I'm going to get my money. And they're like, fine, fine, fine. We'll do what you said. So right now, between the two characters, Nick's motivation to win is just his own pride. And Billy Joe's is to save the life of Nick yeah. because he thinks that Max is legitimately going to kill him if, uh, if Nick wins the match. But when they go out to the table... Nick lets him know, "Hey, I'm going to play as hard as I can, so you're going to have to actually beat me because I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose just for this other idiot." Um, as the game gets further and further along, it seems clear that Nick is playing to win, and is winning, and Max is getting more and more impatient, uh, so he decides he's just going to rob the safe, basically. Right. So he takes 
plastic explosive which he just happened to have with him. That's also completely silent. Right. Although when it goes off, it's not silent. It doesn't, it's, <laughs> it's not silent. Not only is it not silent, but it it's not even plastic explosive because it goes off inches from people who are yeah. just like covered in soot. But he takes this blob of plastic explosive and he puts it on the safe in the back room after he holds everybody up and right as he's about to set off the bomb to destroy the safe the fbi busts in yeah the the heisters weren't heisters yeah. they were it turns G-men. out that the heist thing is completely unrelated to the plot of this yeah, movie which made this scene incredibly like i had to stop pause the movie and I'm like wait hold on let me walk through this because it was so confusing i'm like i thought we are were those the same guys are these fbi guys the guys we thought were robbing the place and but this other guy randomly decides to rob the place at the same time there was just too much i feel like they're trying to combine some paul newman titles with they're taking the hustler and they're taking the sting yeah very much trying to make the same movie uh, out of both of them together and for a con man movie you have to keep adding new characters and new plot lines and it's like by the end of the movie you can't even follow what's happening anymore but this bomb goes off it destroys the safe and throws the money all over the entire building even though it went off in a cage in the back room right somehow money is getting blasted the whole way through the pool hall the people who were inches from the explosion are just like oh that hurt <laughs> I can still hear and see, and I'm not dead. (laughs) But somehow the safe door has opened, and all the money, the contents of the safe have been ejected. Yeah, you could have just sneezed this safe open if you wanted to. Uh, So the FBI is arresting everybody in the back room. Uh, Michael Lerner, as Polly, is trying to convince them, oh no, I run a charity, these are donations, and these aren't bets, and you can't take my money. And uh, the FBI basically goes through and arrests everybody, except for... Nick and Carolina and Billy Joe, who they cannot find uh, because they climbed through the ceiling in the back office. Well, and it's not that they can't find them. They intentionally overlooked them. Right. Uh, So they go out into the parking lot where a limousine pulls up with the deacon in it. And he... Does he give money to the FBI? He gives gives something and he says, give this to the senator. Right. Um, so I don't know if it was... It's, maybe it's the IOU folded yeah, up. I'm, I'm sure that's what it must be, like, you know, so he can return it. And like this, right. You know, call it We're up. even now. This, this just adds to my confusion. Okay. So the deacon was in on it in so much as he... He turned in he, Polly for taking illegal bets. Right. So I got that part. But then he couldn't have known that Max, who right. was trying to kill him, that's would be there and try to rob the place at the same time and blow up all this That the bomb would go off place. literally as the FBI is going in the door. Yeah. There's no way he could have known that. Also, Max just by chance happened to be at that poker game to lose yeah, all that money weird. to Billy Joe and for that reason decided to come here and bet money mm-hmm. on him to win the pool game. It's like there's nine coincidences in a row with Max that... That whole character doesn't even need to be in this movie. If it, if it weren't played by Jack O'Halloran, I would say take him out, but he's great. Um, but yeah, so the Deacon is a big snitch, and he called the FBI on someone who he's worked with in the past mm-hmm. to make money, and who has helped him in his career as a hustler and pool player. And that's probably why he's not in jail anymore, is because he just keeps turning people in all over the place. But when they're talking to the Deacon, they, he says, oh, the room's cleared out. The only people that are left in there are are Nick and Billy Joe and Carolina and and they're in the ceiling somewhere. And then we see them climb down onto a desk in the back room, which 
has to be a super tall room. Yeah. Because they drop out of the ceiling and they're standing on the desk, but even standing full height. And James Coburn's a tall guy, mm-hmm. and they're not. They can't even reach the ceiling. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a like a ten to twelve foot ceiling. Yeah. Uh, but when they walk back into the main room of the pool hall, there's still money and dust everywhere and everything's destroyed, but the tables still work. And Deacon is standing there and he says, oh, this looks like an interesting game. He's pointing at the score on the chalkboard and he wants them to finish the game that they were playing against each other. But then Billy Joe says, nah, Nick was winning. You can tell that Nick was winning and there's no way I was going to take this game. So you guys should just play each other right now. So they play against each other for a while and uh, they play about half of a game. And then the deacon says, well, I won this many points. There's literally no way you could beat me. Unless. Unless you did beat me. Unless we cut. (laughs) Yeah, but he says, there's no way you can win now. And I thought he meant literally, there's no way you can win now. But what he meant was, it's unlikely that you would win now. Yeah. But instead he says, there's no way you could win now. And we don't see any more of the game. Not that I'm not saying I wanted to see more pool. Because I definitely didn't. (laughs) But this was potentially the only interesting part of the movie was like this this moment where we switch and he gains the upper hand and you know and wins. Yeah. Or they switch and you see the girl play the rest well, of the so game. That's that would be great. And that's what I thought was actually happening. I thought that we cut away and I'm like, oh, this was a really interesting ending where they finally, they used her because she had really good skills. And of course the deacon probably doesn't know that she's as good as she is. And so maybe they like double down and convince him to play her so for the better. rest of yeah. it. And like, and then they leave and, and having won and they're like, oh, she has her third. And I thought it was because she literally played the rest of that game. No, she just got her money back for the horse and that's it. Yeah. Well, she they, got more than that. They gave her a third they, of everything. Well, yeah, because they couldn't and have gotten. Yeah, that's true. But they couldn't have gotten there. They couldn't have even gotten into the game without her help. So she yeah. deserved a third of the winnings. Sure, but but for some reason, it also the winnings also included Omar Sharif's car. That's yeah. the only implication that we get that they even won the match. Because right. he he doesn't even look sad when he comes out. He's just like do 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 do. Gets in a cab he, and drives away. He, he doesn't care. He doesn't. It's he's the deacon. He, it's not. It's nothing to him. He lost his car, so he had to call a cab. But yeah, but it's this big fake out where he, it looks like he's walking towards the car, but he walks past it. Yeah. To and a that's, cab. And that's supposed to be our signal, like, oh, he lost, so he doesn't get to go in the nice car. And it's like, other than that, there's no clear indication that mm. they. It could have just been like, well, we survived the night. And uh, we're not dead, and we didn't get arrested like everyone else. And it should be noted that the Deacon is not known for being a pool player. He's not on these magazines or in these tournaments. Right. He's just some rich guy who they want to try to get money out of. And he even Omar Sharif admits, Nick's better than I am. But he says he beat Nick in the past. Yeah, beat Nick. Uh, Nick. Sorry. Uh, Because Nick chokes. Yeah. But he knows that Nick is a better pool player than him. And if he, um, so, if he didn't choke, he would win. Right, and that's why he's placating him with so much money. Right, that's why it's not like twenty thousand versus twenty thousand. It's just yeah, like, it's like I'm betting two hundred thousand dollars so that you screw it up. Yeah, yeah. But either way, this is basically the end of the film. We see uh, Nick and Billy Joe go one way at a fork in the road, and uh, Carolina Red goes the other way, and they're they're off on their own routes and back to their own lives. Probably not starting a pool hall. Probably just wasting this money on... Well, well they talk about going to, uh, like, Montenegro or somewhere uh, in Europe. Yeah, they want to go see uh, 
like Bridget Bardot. Yeah, or, where Bridget Bardot uh, likes walks around man. naked on the beach. Yeah. Um, and that's the end of the film. Yeah. So pool movies, not great. Uh, I was very upset about a Baltimore Bullet pool movie that did not involve Michael Phelps. <laughs> what? He wasn't even alive yet. I know, but that was his nickname. Was it really? Yeah. Like when I was like doing research for the movie, why are all these Michael Phelps things coming out? <laughs> I had no idea that was his nickname. Yeah, I've never heard that before. So either. I'm guessing he's from Baltimore. Uh, I, I am assuming, but I don't know. If I maybe hope. The, That'd be I don't really know weird if the wasn't. joke is that from this movie because pool. Oh. <laughs> Man, I feel so smart <laughs> for not getting that joke initially. That is weird. I'm trying to look up. Uh, yeah, he. Phelps uh, fans celebrate the Baltimore Bullets. Yeah, he was born in Baltimore. Okay. Okay. So it's, is it just a coincidence? I then? I have I have a sneaky suspicion it was a coincidence, because people just like alliteration. Yeah. Oh, and he's fast. Oh my god, it's like a double. Like how bolts travel through well, water. Oh wait. <laughs> it makes a heck of a lot more sense to call Michael Phelps the Baltimore Bullet than Nick here because what does the Baltimore Bullet have to do with pool? Because Nick shoots everyone that he loses. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's not about speed, so bullet is unnecessary. Michael Phelps at least changes trajectory when he hits the water. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah. Well, what I think would have helped for this movie would have been a traditional pool game only because when you're playing this thing was like oh i've hit 155 balls for the deacon match you know i've hit 155 balls now you have to get 156 in order to beat me um that's not interesting that's just hitting a lot of balls over and over and over and over again versus there's only like three balls left on the table and you have to make this shot and whoever knocks the eight ball in first is going to win. Right. And have like the deacon miss. But then it's like, oh, yeah, you know, now you're not going to make this shot because you always choke at the last second. Uh, it also doesn't help that they know that we don't know how to play pool. And they have Willie Moscone like talk us through every single play. Like, see what he just said. Here's what that means. I'll draw. I'm literally going to draw the next scene on a chalkboard for yeah. you. So you understand what he's trying to do. And then they pan from the chalkboard to not the game, but a television next to him to show the person make the shot because they couldn't have a person do it on cue. They had to have a recording. Right. And it's just like the whole time it's just like, you guys aren't putting in the effort to do this trick on screen. Why are you bothering to tell me what, like, I don't care. Just tell me who won at the end of the game. This <laughs> or, isn't entertaining to or watch. Or show me who wins the game. Don't cut away because you don't want to spend... Because you did this stupid version of pool where you have to hit 155 balls and no one wants to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anybody out there thinks baseball is too exciting, have I got the sport for you. <laughs> it's called billiards. And it's just balls clicking together and falling into pockets. <laughs> it's really great. Um, but it turns out I watched a bunch of pool movies to prepare for this. I didn't. I haven't seen Pool Hall Junkies, but I watched The Hustler and The Color of Money and they're not great either. The Hustler's obviously better than The Color of Money, mm-hmm. but uh, The Color of Money is maybe worse than this film. Um, they're at least on par. I, w- I wouldn't say that The Color of Money is significantly better than this. The only bit of trivia that I did come across that was interesting is that The Color of Money is where they got the name for the game Doom. Did you know that? No. Because there's a part where someone asks what's, what's in his Q case, and he opens it up and he says, Doom. 
like I'm about to beat you. And they thought that was so cool that they were like, that'd be a cool name for a game. All right. That's where they got the name from. It's dumb. Um, But yeah. Did you guys have any other notes on the movie? No. Uh, The director here, Robert Ellis Miller. uh, A lot of TV stuff dating back to the 50s. This that probably should have been on television. Uh, Not a lot that I recognized from his film career. Uh, Writer John Braschia. Uh, he played John in White Christmas. I don't remember which character that is. Uh, he is also a poker player in this film during one of the several poker games. And this was his only writing credit and his last acting credit. Uh, writer Robert Vincent O'Neill was the writer of the Angel Trilogy. Have you heard of the Angel Trilogy? I have not. It's Angel, Avenging Angel, and Angel 3 about a teen prostitute. Uh, he directed the first two. And Susan Tyrell appears in the first two. Uh, Angel was a different actress in each installment. So it doesn't seem like it uh, is a very solid trilogy. Um, he was also a prop master on Easy Rider and Psych Out. Have you ever seen Psych Out? I have not. Uh, it has Bud Cardos in it. Nice. Friend of ours. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I would say that. Me okay. and Bud Cardos were buds. Um, he's a cool guy old stuntman and second unit director on the birds (laughs) bud cardos has a very interesting career uh james coburn was nick casey um obviously great escape magnificent seven he was flint in in like flint yeah uh he was in charade um he's the voice of water noose in monsters inc Mm -hmm. which i didn't realize i for some reason oh that was always ned Beatty in my head but that's a different uh pixar villain uh, Omar Sharif was the deacon. He's in, you know, you probably know him from the David Lean epics, Doctor Zhivago and yeah. Lawrence of Arabia. And the uh, Ted Danson made for TV Gulliver's <laughs> Travels. Oh God, really? <laughs> oh, Mary Steenburgen was in that too, right? Oh yeah, they were both in it. Who who was who was uh, Sharif? Um, I don't remember his character, but he was someone that uh, Ted Danson ended up in his house, and Omar Sharif has like a mirror that can teleport people through time oh, okay. but needs blood so he keeps Ugh. drugging and using ted danson's uh, blood to bring people back from the past in order to write stories about them huh very small scene yeah there's a lot of really interesting people in that movie i remember watching uh, it when it was on yeah uh uh but uh that's it that's a yeah, lot to say cast i mean i was just picturing pick pink obviously omar sharif lawrence of arabia yeah. like, i mean we're I'm joking by saying something really obscure that, that people he do was not remember in. him from. Obviously, nowhere near as good as the Jack Black version of the yeah, Gulliver's yeah. Travels um, story. He's in Hidalgo, which actually I I don't mind that movie. Is that the um, with um, All Right, All Right, All Right? Uh, no, it's a Viggo Mortensen. Uh, oh, I'm thinking and, of Sahara with Steve. Oh Zola. yeah, yeah, that's that's awful. Different movie. Hidalgo is the one about the horse in the sandstorm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie Blakely was Carolina Red here. She was Barbara Jean in Nashville. Uh, Marge Thompson in The First Nightmare on Elm Street. She was actually married to Wim Wenders at the time of this production, um, who is a pretty famous documentarian filmmaker. He was nominated nine times for the Palme d'Or. Mm. Uh, he's only won it once for Paris, Texas, but it's a pretty uh, incredible run. Uh, and he has a bunch of Oscar nominations, too. For he, I think he got three nominations for Best Documentary Film. Um, but he hasn't won that yet. 
Bruce Boxleitner was Tron. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Was he in that? Calm down there. <laughs> I love Tron. <laughs> this was his first feature film. Uh, he was Tron and Tron. <laughs> he was also Tron in Tron Legacy. Is this the first time we've had an actor in a film that Tron? we've worked on? Um, That's hard to say. Possibly. But you worked on Tron Legacy. Yeah. With Bruce Boxleitner. He was in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also was President Baker on Supergirl, or maybe still is. I don't know. Is that show still on? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I think it is. Yeah. Because they just added, yeah, because they just added, they, the uh, Ruby Rose is, is the Batwoman now, and they're like, yeah, that's the same universe? Yeah. Okay. Um, I always think when I, whenever I hear Bruce Boxleitner's name, I think of the joke on, did you ever see that episode of Home Movies? Where Brendan gets hit by the car. No. And he ends up getting taken to court for the damage to the car because he was on his bike. And uh, McGurk is there as like his attorney. And he's like, what are you thinking? And he's like, trying to remember the name of the actor who played Tron. (laughs) (laughs) And then like they keep going through the rest of the courtroom like, Your Honor, might I suggest a spanking on his tush tush. All right, that's it. Another word out of you and you'll be held in contempt. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay. Anyway, Brendan, I'd like to start off by... Oh, Bruce Boxleitner. What did I tell you, mister? No, I'm just saying Bruce Boxleitner was the guy in Tron, Your Honor. Oh, right. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Now I can sleep. Great movie. Do you tell me? Oh, please, yeah. both of you. Like, they're not, they're not taking their courtroom seriously. Um, so I always get Bruce Boxleitner and Barry Boswick mixed up because oh, okay. they're both very nondescript white guys sure. with uh, alliterative names yeah, that start I can with see B. That. <laughs> Bruce Boxleitner would have been very interesting in Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> yeah, would uh, Also, Probably actually would have been very much the same. They're both nondescript white guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, uh, Babylon 5 was a big thing for him. For Boxleitner? Yeah. Uh, Jack O'Halloran, we already talked about a lot. Um, he, he plays non in Superman 1 mm-hmm. and 2. Uh, Michael Lerner was Polly, who is Jack Lipnick and Barton Fink. Um, he's another Cohen stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was Mayor Ebert in Godzilla, <laughs> which is always a credit I will refer to for him. Uh, he was in the MacGyver pilot. He was Gantner. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he will be back later this year for Borderline with Charlie Bronson. Well, and we also had him in um, Last Married Couple. Was he in that? Well, I thought that was a piece of trivia that we had. Thing about oh you know what it wasn't Michael Lerner, it was a uh, a different guy who looks like Mark, Michael Lerner. Never mind. It was the same actor who played uh, the father in War Games. The father in and War he was uh, he was in Midnight Madness as the TV show host. Oh, I know who you're talking about, um, and he was on the Chappelle Show. Yeah, uh, William Bo- Boggart. Boggart. Sorry, okay. my bad. No, no worries. Um, Very similar looking gentleman. Calvin Lockhart was Snow White. Uh, he plays King Willie in Predator 2 and Reggie in Wild at Heart. Um, he was also an electrician in the Twin Peaks movie and the reboot the series that he just did. Like he plays an electrician on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, which, so that's that's at least three titles that he did with David Lynch. Yeah, let's try to get as many people back as possible. Yeah, that's cool. I remember because I was working at Photochem at the time when he was doing post for the reboot series or the sequel series and it would be like two three o'clock in the morning and him and the editor would come out and like smoke cigarettes and then go back in and 
continue working on it. But they were up like super late every night on that show. Willie Moscone plays himself, the sportscaster. Um, he also appeared as himself in The Hustler, uh, doing commentary for the pool games in that movie. Uh, Rockney Tarkington was Gunner. Uh, he's one of the henchmen uh, that's helping the deacon around, uh, always opening the door to the car for him. Uh, he played a stable hand in the 94 Wyatt Earp. That's the uh, Cosner one. Uh, he plays Patch in the Ice Pirates, Stuart <laughs> Raffle classic. Uh, he was Jules in DOA MacGyver. Everybody remembers that. Yeah. Uh, Lou Wagner plays Savannah Shorty. That's the guy with the really high-pitched voice. Um, he plays Lucius in Planet of the Apes. He was Wally Phipps on Raising Hope. Uh, that's a series that was on... Uh, <laughs> For a while, he was in 13 episodes. Near and dear to Patrick's heart because he... He's in the episode that I'm in. He's in the episode you're in? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. So speaking of <laughs> cast members who we've worked with, I literally appeared as an actor in an episode of this show with this character. <laughs> this is the guy with the high-pitched voice, right? Yes. Because I and now, as soon as you said that, I know who Lucius yeah. is in Planet of the Apes. But uh, there's an episode where I play a squab hunter, uh, courtesy of central casting <laughs> um and uh he the one and only episode. gig you ever got from central that's casting that's my only acting credit on IMDb. <laughs> you know what and i can see it you look like a squab hunter well i had a much longer beard at the time it was funny because when they called me they were like hey do you still have that beard and i was like yes i still have a beard and they were like are you available in eight hours <laughs> i was like yeah i work the night shift so i'm gonna drive straight from work but yes so that that happened um and lou wagner will also be back in gorp later this year uh, which is like a raunchy camp comedy type thing sounds great up or down jess oh that's a big down richard yeah yeah as much as i love james coburn yeah this this is three downs because this didn't need to happen i don't think coburn even wants to watch this again (laughs) um and i think it could have been semi-interesting i i feel sports movies can be difficult if it's a sport that's not very active so like golf movies, movies about pool or, you know, uh, even like a, if a, you know, obviously like beer fest or something like that or, or balls of fury. Yeah. You, you have to do something extreme if it's like a very stationary game. Um, uh, and I feel like that's, that's the problem with this movie. One, they're playing a version of pool. I don't know anything about. Yeah. And I don't understand how it works. And I don't so think it's not most interesting. people know a lot about it. Uh, but I think if I someone liked... told me they got 150 points in a game of pool, I would be like, what? Okay, well, let's There's stop drinking. Points? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really liked their relationship. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that they had a fun relationship that could have been a little bit more developed and more interesting. But overall, I was just bleh. Yeah. Um, I think that all three of the leads actually are really great. I think Ronnie Blakely is awesome and horrendously wasted. Um, she they set her up multiple people call her out as being this amazing pool player and she never plays in any of the competitions she never like that it makes way more sense for her to have won this money hustling people than for her to have sold the horse for it she should have been in the tournament yeah um you know it's it's it's, she she kind of reminded me of like jodie foster's character in maverick right um it's just like oh yeah she's she's a contender and then when they you guys both fail out it turns out you have a backup yeah but they don't play it that way. So, that would have been a better movie. Yeah. I, I feel like the combination of her completely wasted character plus like the weird, blatant, violent sexual assault that happens in this movie makes it like 
almost unforgivable like there's no way it can come back from that and be a movie that i wouldn't hate so um letterboxd what are we thinking super low super duper low um just trying to figure out which side of caligula right now so it's um i think it's it's below serial for me and um We'll put it. Uh, we'll put it just above Caligula. Okay, so second from the bottom for you. Yeah, there's there's nothing personal still, still down there. Still oh, worse nothing than personal the, is at the bottom, bottom. Nothing personal is bottom bottom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think I would put this just below. Just tell me what you want, and just above nothing personal. Okay. Um, I am also putting it just above nothing personal, which makes it second from the bottom of my list. Um, it's in my bottom five. Yeah. Uh, nothing personal holds a special place because I don't feel like they were even trying to make a good movie. They were literally just trying to make a tax dodge. This movie feels like they were trying to make a good movie and they failed miserably. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Defiance also failed miserably, but not as miserably. So, yeah, I th- I'm comfortable putting this directly between Nothing Personal and Defiance on my list. So, uh, I think that's about it for this one. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Because this is our first episode of the month, I wanted to take a quick second to talk about our Patreon campaign for anyone who hasn't had time to check it out. We have a couple tiers, which I have failed to mention on the show thus far. Vintage video will always be free to listen to, but if it's worth it to you, a donation as small as a dollar is greatly appreciated. We're averaging about 10 titles a month, and over the course of the year, we're expecting to cover about 14 a month, which would mean for the buck a month tier, you're donating seven or eight cents an episode. Uh, We also have a $5 tier, which is about 36 cents per episode, and that includes a shout out on the show, our monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's 70s review. So far, we've recorded four of them, starting with MASH in January. For May, our second-tier members are choosing between Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the second installment of the original series, Hal Ashby's The Landlord with Bo Bridges, uh, the original Out of Towners with Jack Lemmon and Sandy Dennis, and Sid and Marty Croft's Puffin' Stuff, a feature film based on the children's series, each of which will be celebrating their 50th anniversaries this May. If this sounds like something you'd be interested you can find our campaign at patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. And if not, I hope you will at least do us the honor of continuing to listen. Thanks again, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Private Eyes, which Wikipedia describes as an American comedy mystery film starring Tim Conway and Don Knotts as a pair of bumbling American detectives who work for Scotland Yard. We leave you now with the trailer for The Private Eyes. Who better to solve England's most puzzling mystery than these two international crime busters? Yes. Good day. I'm Inspector Winship, and this is my assistant, Dr. Tart. For the law and the order. Gathering vital clues from every available source. Well. <laughs> ah!
Step by step, Tim Conway and Don Knotts prove murder can be deadly in the private eyes. Who will be the next victim? Got that message. Better send it off to the yard and let them know we're here. I suspect that they would like to see me dead. Well, you can relax now that we're here. Danger is their constant companion. Fear is an unknown factor. These people are dropping like flies. Don't you people realize that you're next unless we get to the bottom of this? He isn't supposed to foam. Here. Stir it. These great sleuths, given the clue, come up with the perfect solution. Hey, we must be near a bowling alley. We have among us a murderer. And that killer is right here in this room. Tim Conway is the dim-witted Dr. Tart. And Don Knotts is the inept Inspector Winship. Tart! In... Oh, my gosh. The Private Eye.